welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and taking your questions this evening are David Shapiro from Sassman Securities and independent analyst Jimmy Moyaha. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, David, Jimmy, good evening to you both. I shall start with youth over experience uh, this evening. So, um, Jimmy, um, not, a great, not a great day for the market today, and I suspect it would have been worse were it not for the performances of NASPASS and Process, which had a very good day. What, if anything, was behind that? Well, I think if you look at the recent performance of the markets, we've seen markets um, rally from significant lows over the last week and a bit, uh, particularly following the um, knee-jerk reaction we saw off the back of the interest rate announcement or the inflation numbers, sorry, rather, out of the U.S. last week. We've seen equity markets that sort of all bounced from there. Um, and they've shown almost signs of life. I mean, there were calls earlier today saying that we're, maybe we're back in a bull market situation. And I think it's very, very early to make such statements. Um, <laughs> but I think what we're, we're definitely seeing is um, sustained dollar weakness coupled with um, a risk-on approach that's returned to market and a bit of positive sentiment in recent times has caused a really significant rally. And markets can't sustain that rally um, on a permanent basis. I mean, there is going to obviously be a bit of a reprieve from that. Um, and typically... What you, what you sort of see is um, a phenomenon known as almost like midweek reversals where um, in the middle of the week you sort of see a bit of uh, a dip or movements of price that are not what you've seen leading up to so in the first two days of the week and that sort of thing. But again, like I said, a lot of the positivity that's re been re-injected into the market has been as a result of um, that first data print from the U.S. around their inflation uh, picture. And I think the markets have been dying for some positivity yeah. to the extent that that's what's caused um, markets to rally. I mean, we've seen NASPERS up uh, in this month alone up about 28 to 30 percent for the month of November, and that's I mean, that's telling of just how desperate the market has been. For good news. Yeah, I mean, David. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah on on the NASPERS process, ten cents results came out, but I think what prompted up is that they're going to unbundle uh, their major holding. So uh, this will mean a lot more cash for both process and aspects, you know, which they can then go and buy back shares. They can't hold these matron shares, so they will sell them. You know, I doubt whether they're going to hold them like uh, they did JD.com. Uh, well, um, sorry, Tencent sold JD.com, but, dot com, but um, I think that they will get cash for that holding. So that's a big amount. I don't, I can't convert, I can't convert Hong Kong dollars, and <laughs> even though it's close to the dollar, so I'm not going to even attempt to do it. All I'm going to say is they're going to get a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, well that's that's good enough for me, I have to say. Um, and there's a question from a viewer who says, um, oh, "Sorry, I'm on the wrong page." Uh, but he does talk mm. about the, the the increase that we've seen in the Nasdaq share price, and he says. Uh, does the panel think the share could gain a further 50% or should I take some profits considering the recent share price increase? I mean, Jimmy, I suppose it could. And if you look at all the analyst forecasts, they still will have buy recommendations and the price is sort of, you know, light years away from it, where it is now. Um, yeah. What, what would you do? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at Nasper's, um, you look at where it's been for just this year alone, we've been sort of at 1,500 uh, rand a share. We're back above, uh, I think, around 2,600 rand a share. Um, there is possibility for it to keep going, uh, but at the same time, given that we are, we, we haven't confirmed that we've, we're no longer in a bearish market, um, there's still a bit of uh, uncertainty. I think for me, um, much as the unbundling presents opportunities uh, for NASPERS to buy their shares back and, and to re-strategize the business, I think the main concern for me is going to be around 
uh, China at this stage. We've seen in the past that the Chinese government has come out very, very strongly against tech companies at any given moment. So Nasdaq is something uh, somewhat of a hot potato where the stock, there's nothing wrong with the share price. There's nothing wrong with the companies within uh, the business. It's more of that regulatory interference that they have no control over, that mm. they're hoping doesn't come out. We know that um, the Chinese government has come out to say that they're going to take a back foot. They're going to be more supportive and inclusive of um, recoveries and that sort of thing, whether it's from the property space or companies like Tencent in the tech space. But the, the U-turn that they could make at any given moment uh, is something that you want to always have a decent balance within your portfolio. Yes, the share price could quite easily rally back up to 3,000 rand a share. But if you if you manage to get in at 1,500 rand a share and you're back at 2,600 rand a share now um, and the share price has done 30% for this month alone, there's nothing wrong with taking profits yeah. ahead of December looking to see that you might start the year off with a new entry opportunity to go to continue your long position. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying reduce your exposure to nil, but there's never anything wrong with taking profits in a time of uncertainty and in a time where markets are, are extremely volatile, especially if we're still in a bear, uh, bear market cycle. Yeah. Jimmy is channeling Wayne tonight. He always says that um, taking a bit of a profit will never kill you. Um, so, so <laughs> um, uh, David, I mean, would you keep... Uh, I mean, I, 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 if you like a share, buy it. If you don't like it, sell it. You know, <laughs> full stop. So, I, you, you know, to take take profit means you don't like it. I'm I'm with Jimmy. I I'd be very cautious of it over time. I think that go through these ten ten cent results in greater detail. I just looked and saw that in some areas they did beat forecast, others they didn't. But overall, it's a company that's actually slowing down. Jimmy was absolutely right. They're going to be under regulatory scrutiny forever. They're not going to be do anything. They're going to have to go on their hands and knees and beg Mr. G, you know, if they want to do something bold. And you can't you can't do that to capitalists or call it entrepreneurial type businesses. So mm. Uh, you know, I remain, I think you're going to find better opportunities in the U.S. markets. Yeah. And I suppose the problem is that, I mean, uh, Jimmy, as you said, it, it's, it can be whimsical. It can happen at any given point in time. And there's you know, a lot of question marks over the structures, the VIE structures, uh, you know, which are, were set up to establish these companies. No one quite knows what might happen to them legally. That's still, you know, I mean, imagine uh, th those structures are collapsed. What, what effect that could have on... Uh, uh, on Nasdaq and processes ownership of Tencent. Okay, so both of you would be maybe um, cashing in at this point. Okay, um, then there's a question on um, Tungela. So we were asked this. Well, I think we were talking about last week, Monday. I mean, I think people are a little bit anxious about the fact that it's just um, on a kind of a downward slide. Um, David, sticking with you. Um, do you know, would you be waiting for the results to come out, actually, before you would make a call on, on, on what to do from this point? Yeah, look, the results are probably going to be good. You know, uh, the share goes up 250% and then starts coming down and everybody starts panicking. I mean, hello. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you held it a year ago, you're up, I don't know, 250 again. I, I can't get the exact numbers. Of course, it's going to come down. Of course, it's going to be profit-taking. Uh, along the way. And that's going to be against concerns that coal prices will come down. But we can't see that. For the meantime, those coal prices are holding up pretty well. And if Tongela is not doing anything stupid and just doing what it is, trying to get that coal to the harbor and sell it, 
they must be making money. So there's going to be a point at which it's going to offer good value, but just wait for it. Over the long term, I don't know. You know, you've got to you've got to see what Mr. Putin's doing and uh, what's happening in those in the energy markets. You know, very hard to predict. But I think for certainly in the next year or so, they seem to be very well placed. Mm. Jimmy, I mean, at 250 rands, it looks a lot more palatable than at 300 or there about or over 300 rand. Um, are you nervous about the fact that it has declined? No, absolutely not. David hit the nail on the head. You can't expect a stock to rally 200-300% without any bit of retracement. And particularly in a time where there is increased uncertainty, there's inflationary pressure, and not to mention this little bug in Tungela's, um, or this little thought in Tungela's side called Transnet that's creating an inability for Tungela to get its coal support and inability to realize its export profits. So without a doubt, there's going to be some level of retracement and some level of market uh, market movement that says, uh, okay, we've had this rally. Are we still good at this price or are we not? Particularly on the mining side of things, if you look at mining stocks, if you look at the commodity super cycles that we've gone through, we almost went through almost a back-to-back commodity super cycle with um, gold and oil coming into 2021, um, coal coming into the fray of things as well off the back of the Russia-Ukraine tension. So all commodities have seen really, really um, good times and the mining stocks related to those commodities. If you think back to, I think it was uh, early 2022, so sort of late 2021, when companies or mining stocks in the gold space were reporting, they reported exorbitant numbers when the gold price was at $2,000 an ounce. And Tungela's not not any different from any other mining company. As long as, as David said, as long as they keep doing what they're doing and they're doing it well, and they're able to realize those profits and realize those revenues, then the stock will continue to do to do well. It's about finding that point to say, okay, where are markets dipping? So when equity markets do take a bit of a back foot, where's the turning point? Where's the good buy entry level? You, you'll never get back to Tungela's opening price. You'll never yeah, get back to alas. 50 rand a share on Tungela. Unfortunately, you've missed that train. But it's not to say that Tungela's going to max out to 300 rand a share for the rest of its uh, lifespan. You know, so it's just about finding a good optimal point where your risk-to-reward ratios make sense and being willing to hold, being willing to understand that markets are not going to, you're not going to get the same bullish movement in the same time frame going into the new year with everything we've had to deal with, with COVID, with interest yeah. rates, with inflation. You're not going to get the same 250% over two, two years. Yeah, I, I think we should be able to phone France up or Garth and Kenzie and say, what do you think about the chart? Because the chart looks like... It looks like a head and shoulders chart, I have to say. Mm, mm. It looks like it's it's hit that kind of support levels now. And from that point of view, Mm. me, I've been drawing lines with the ruler and everything. It says it's coming into buy territory. I mean, the problem is that you is when you get a 250% increase in the share price, it makes you totally Mm. uh, greedy or it kind of warps your view of the... The stock. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, these are such extraordinary events. And then. You can say that with MTN as well. If you look at MTN, it's the same kind of chart, you know, where it's shot up on on its prospects of going into fintech and various other things. And it's come down again to those kind of levels. And you start to say, okay, here's the test. You know, do we buy at these levels or is this going to go further? And I think probably we're getting to levels where they're getting attractive again. You know, so you get to that support line where the sellers have exhausted themselves and you'll find the buyers coming short yeah. of anything disastrous happening, you know, yeah. which okay. can happen with MTN. The question that came through on MTN was, 
Um, with it closing below 130 Rand today, is this a good time to buy it? And is it currently held in either of your portfolios? Also, would the drop in the future oil price lead to MTN's share price dropping further? Previously, Wayne has mentioned that he expects oil to drop from current levels. Jimmy, what do you think? Uh, I've given out MTN in the past as a stock pick at 130. Anything below 130 towards 120, 115 is absolute gold for me. I'm, I like what the, uh, the share represents. I like what the company represents. If you look at MTN's the last three quarters of performance, their data numbers and their subscription numbers are going cons- consistently through the roof. They're capitalizing on key areas in Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Rwanda, Uganda, the Rwanda business is only lagging on the basis of the fact that they've emo- decided to amortize that license renewal, which is going to be partially offset if they decide to by the recent sale of their, I think it's their Afghan business. That sale's now gone through. Their only presence in the Middle East is in Iran. MTN on a performance level has been one of the best performing stocks in the, in this period. And I think where it differentiates itself from companies like Tungela, and that sort of thing is where Tungela's reliance on its ability to get coal to port or to export um, and realize that revenue. MTN is a service business, which means as long as they're continuously growing their service offering and offering um, things like their Momo business um, and moving into that fintech side of things, their service revenue is going to continue to grow. Um, mm. South Africa is going to, at some point at this rate, probably become one of their lower um contributing regions given how rapidly they're growing in the other four countries on the continent so absolutely love mtn anything below 130 i'm very happy with the closer to 115 the better mm. yeah julieta i think there's one thing that always astonishes me you drive past a beggar and they're on a phone you know and i think what it shows you is that people would rather starve and die than not uh Have not top up their phones or John, <laughs> not, not get data so I think, I think that's top of the list. The first amount of money that you receive goes to buying data. And the last thing you do is feed your kids. You know, that's, um, so it, it's just one of those kind of businesses that, that, you know, regardless, that's why I'm saying regardless of where the oil price or anything, people are going to still continue to buy data or, or buy airtime or whatever it is, or use it um, just yeah. to enhance their lives in any way. I mean, yeah, I would, I would say it's a sort of a, I mean, it's, 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 practic- it's, it's on like the, the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, <laughs> cellular telephony, which you wouldn't have expected 30 years ago, but here we are. <laughs> so, okay, uh-huh. so both of you would be buyers of MTN. Now, this is quite a technical question, um, and the viewer says, the Satrix NASDAQ ETF, uh, 100 ETF, is trading in South Africa today, but the NASDAQ exchange in New York only opens uh-huh. at 4 o'clock SA time. Is this an arbitrage opportunity for a share trader. Um, Jimmy, is it? Well, I guess it depends on um, how you're looking at it. I mean, if you look at the particular ETF in question, I think it's uh, underlying asset there is it's tracking a BlackRock ETF as well, um, which is sitting in Ireland. Your, your NASDAQ market, uh, if you have to now look at the trading volumes and that sort of thing, you're going to be dealing with um, sort of lower levels of liquidity in NASDAQ out of our sessions. Um, so yes, there will always be an arbitrage opportunity to a certain extent, but whether or not that arbitrage opportunity will be significant enough for you to be profitable on it remains to be seen because unless the ETF itself um, is being priced, and I think I had a quick look um, just before uh, the NASDAQ was trading at about 11,720 points. The ETF um, on the Satrix side of it had closed at about 11,500 points. So I guess there might be 
um, between market open and market those areas of uh, opportunity for arbitrage, but whether or not they'll be significant enough remains to be seen. I think you'd have to look at a lot more around the underlying that the ETF is tracking relative to the performance of, of NASDAQ as, as an yeah. index. I mean, David, you know, I never really sort of perceived an ETF as a, a an arbitrage opportunity for a share trader. I, I'm, you know, unless I'm just kind of not grasping the 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 full smorgasbord of possibilities the market has to yeah. offer. You know, futures market trades as well, and they never stop. So, I mean, if you're a trader and you feel that some news has come out, it automatically corrects. In the, in the futures market. So you can go into the futures market and do the same trade wherever you are. But I mean, of course, uh, if news comes out here um, overnight or something happens where US markets haven't, uh, haven't opened, yes, you can do it. I, I watch those markets incidentally, you know, all the time. And we get news way ahead of uh, US opening. And sometimes you think, oh, well, the futures haven't reacted and suddenly Everybody in New York wakes up and goes for their coffee and then suddenly gets the news and does something which is surprising in the other direction, you know, which you weren't expecting. So, so yeah, you know, we, we, we are actually ahead of the market and you actually have to wait for the markets to open and for people to, to get on their phones or to get on their things to see how the reaction is going to be. It's, I've, I've sometimes been caught on the wrong side, just okay. we're not trading but in thought process, you know, of how they're going to open and when yeah. markets actually open, the, you know, the trade is actually a lot different to what you thought it would be or, or that you thought it had been discounted. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Now. Okay. Okay. Anyway, difficult markets, you know, you're dealing <laughs> with machines, you're not dealing with logic, you know, you're not dealing with people who've got, who understand the nuances of markets or anything I, like I that. would have said, you're, you're, I would have said dealing with people is a far um, trickier task um, with illogical and emotional human beings than dealing with machines. But uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a topic for a different day. Um, there's a question on the, um, uh, he says, I've been to look at the EMBI. Would, would that be Emerging Market Bond Index? MB, yeah. And I want to know, is it a good ETF bond to diversify an 18-year-old's investment account? Um, Jimmy, I mean, okay, yeah. So firstly, mm. on its own merits, but also for that particular age group, what, what do you think? Well, I think um, emerging markets have been, uh, in this time in particular, have been showing some signs of outperforming developed markets. Um, if you look in particular, if you look at the, the South African market, the yields on South African bonds are doing exceptionally well. You look at the fact that you couple that with, um, do a comparison of the U.S. versus South Africa, where your U.S. Uh, inflation rates are sitting at 7%, similar to how South Africa is sitting at 77 to 8% both countries. But your core CPI in South Africa is 2% lower than your core CPI in the U.S. And you're still seeing that. South African yields are providing a lot more positive returns uh, relative to uh, U.S. yields. And that's solely on the basis of the fact that um, the U.S. has put in a lot of um, stimulus in terms of the, the trillions of dollars that they put in in stimulus. Mm. And that's created a situation, sort of a weird storm around the world as well, where we're seeing inflationary pressures in the U.K. as well in, in Europe um, causing countries to report lower than expected GDP numbers. Japan reported uh, GDP missed for Q3 as well. But overall, what you're seeing is emerging markets are suddenly the shining stars um, <laughs> without having to do very much, actually, purely because they're offering just more attractive conditions than developed markets at this stage. And so 
um, a, an index like that that's tracking the emerging markets at this point is going to be very, very attractive. Whether or not that will last will depend largely on the macro factors that created the storm. So whether or not the, the uh, EU goes into an energy crisis in December, whether or yeah. not they come out of their inflationary crisis, what happens in um, Asia as Asian demand dwindles. Chinese demand has been a very big factor across the oil space and the commodities consumption space as well. So yeah. looking at all of the factors that created the attractiveness is going to be the same thing you need to look at in terms of determining how long you're going to be able to benefit from. I mean, which takes us back to the, the, the second part of the viewer's question, which is, would you include it in an 18-year-old investment account? I mean, David, traditionally, the traditional thinking would be that you had to have no bonds or guilt at all uh, in, in, in someone that young yeah. who has got so, so much yeah. time ahead yeah. of them. But is it not yeah. a bad idea at this point? I mean, what about 5 or 10%? It's a bad idea. You think it's yeah. a bad idea? Mm. I think historically it's, they've underperformed. Uh, they've held up very well. And I think the reason is that, that emerging markets are in much better shape than they have been uh, compared with former crises, you know, 07, 08 and that. So we're not in the same kind of situation that we have been. And therefore, those bond markets have held up well. Whether it can sustain itself uh, forever or over a long period, history says no. So I think if you are going to go into a, long, a, a bond market, actually, at an 18-year-old, I mean, that's a death knell. You know, you can't do that to a kid, put their, <laughs> put their uh, savings into a a bond market, you know, you're not going to go anywhere at these very low levels. So from that point of view, but I mean, from emerging market bonds, very, very volatile. At the moment, as Jimmy said, you know, we are enjoying, um, what's it, uh, a, a very... A sort of a purple low, patch in a way. Or, purple well, patch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love, you know, I love our local bond market at the moment. I think it's great, the long end here, giving you returns which are brilliant. Yeah, but you, but those presumably would would be for people of our, our age. Maybe not Jimmy. Jimmy's yeah. too young. Um, I'm, I'm out of that. Soon as soon as the soon as the markets look better, you know, as soon as we start to see growth, I'm gone. You know, no one's ever made money holding bonds. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, tell us what uh, what we are going to make money from, if, which leads us cannily to our stock picks this evening. Um, Jimmy, what uh, what are you looking at? Uh, for those that are brave, I'm looking at Coinbase. Uh, oh. I know there's been a lot of confusion no, no, and things around no, the crypto space no, and that sort of thing. No. The the main reason I'm liking Coinbase <laughs> is if you look at the if you look at the company, right. The company is listed in the U.S., which means there's a lot more scrutiny around that, right? You look at the, the institutions that are invested in, about 40% of its stock are owned by institutional investors. Among those institutional investors are the Vanguard Group, BlackRock, and that sort of thing. It's not going to be a dividend-yielding stock um, because that history has shown that it's probably going to be unprofitable for quite some time. But at a share price of 50 Rand a share, having gone and had an IPO above 350 Rand, closer to the 400 Rand level, I don't see it going much further down. Um, and the, the timing of it at this point as well is looking at the fact that equity markets have had, um, or most markets are up about 20% for the week or in the last uh, little uh, week and a half or so. So I'm waiting for a bit more retracement on some of my more preferred um, looks, uh, such as like Walmart and that sort of thing. But at the moment, Coinbase is offering a unique opportunity. It's quite safe relative to um, other crypto um, <laughs> companies and, and that sort of thing in this space. Um, but I think, as I said, it, I did mention it was a, a stock pick for the brave. 
it's not going to be a dividend yielding stock for you. But if the share price goes back up to $75, you're up 50%, you can cash out. It's a good speculation at this point. Okay. Well, I mean, do what the Rothschilds do when there's blood on the streets, you wade in, right? Um. <laughs> no, well, well, I have to go the complete antithesis. I'm going to change my base. Thank goodness I didn't. I'm going to go for hammer and nails for Home Depot, the complete opposite of Coinbase. You know, walk in there and buy a, a, a spirit level or buy something or a pair of pliers. I'm going for basics. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, Home Depot, of course, was this, which was one of the go-go stocks of the pandemic, but then, of course, you know, um, came down. I don't know if we've lost David. We may have. Maybe that's where we that. end. We may have. That's yeah. where we ended off. Oh, no, there he is. But it's time anyway. Yeah. So Home Depot for David, Coinbase for Jimmy. Thank you both for joining me this evening. Nice to chat to you. Uh, Jimmy Moyaha is an independent analyst and David Shapiro is from Sassman Securities and we'll be back uh, tomorrow night. But in volatile times like these, there is money to be made and lost. So to help keep you on the right side of that equation, make sure you tune in next week, Monday. It's the 21st of November. Also Tuesday, the 22nd for our SA Stock Pick series brought to you by the JS. You'll benefit from expert tips from the likes of Tamsan Kaneta, Anthony Clark, Keith McLaughlin and Lon Wabo Matkubela. You can tune in next week, Monday at 4.30, Tuesday at 1.30. For now, have a good evening.